Well, hello everyone. My name is Andrew Bowles. I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's and welcome to our teaching time today. It's a difficult time, isn't it? If we look around the world, there's lots of things happening that are really hard to get to grips with. The word unprecedented has been thrown around a lot in the last six months or so to describe the kind of time that we're in. But, you know, if you actually look back throughout history, people have often felt that their own time was a time of extreme change, difficulty and unprecedented uh, crisis. So, for instance, if we go back about a century or so, uh, looking at the early part of the 20th century, uh, there was a newspaper in London that uh, tapped into people's feeling that at the time there was a lot of change and crisis around in their society. And so they asked prominent leaders from around the country, around England, to provide answers in the form of a column to the question, what is wrong with the world today? So analysis and opinions and thoughts about what's going on in our world and what is wrong. What needs to be changed? Now, I wonder what you would say if you were to write a column to our newspaper today about what's wrong with the world. Well, you might point out, hey, there's a rampaging infectious virus that's been spreading around the world for the last year. Or you might point to our political system and say there's a lot of corruption, uh, difficulty in getting things done, people, the wrong people in leadership. Or we might say, well, there's so much tension between different groups, between nations, between religious and ethnic groups, which causes wars and conflicts all around us. We might say, well, what's wrong with the world is our environment. You know, well, we're worried about the way our climate is changing and the places that we might go in the next 20 or 30 years. Now, so there's, again, you can see there's lots of answers to this question, what's wrong with the world today? And I want to come back in a little bit later to tell you about uh, one of the answers that they received to that question 100 years ago, and uh, I think it's a very insightful one, which sheds light on our own world today as well. But before that, we want to start looking at this uh, letter called Titus, which we've been reading. So Titus, as we can see from the beginning, was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote uh, to his colleague and friend Titus, who was a leader in the church in the island of Crete. Uh, Titus is a short letter, as you can see, and that's one of the reasons we've chosen it for a few sermons over the school holidays uh, to bridge us into term four. And it's one of the letters that are called the pastoral epistles in the New Testament. So along with First and Second Timothy, which just come before it, Titus is called one of the pastoral epistles, which is written so because it, uh, it is written to uh, the pastors in local churches to give them advice and encouragement about what it means to lead local churches and Christian communities into faith in Jesus. <coughs> so Paul's letter to Titus is essentially a church life manual. It talks about what it is like to be a leader of a church and the issues that people experience there and how to encourage you know, people in the congregation uh, to grow in maturity as followers of Jesus. We're going to start today by looking then at the opening section of Titus and particularly focusing on verses 1 to 4, which we read just before. And it's not you might note, if you look at it carefully, that this is actually a single sentence. This is something that Paul does quite regularly. He writes very long sentences with lots of different clauses. And actually, if you want to figure out how everything relates to each other, you have to write a diagram uh, to understand all the things that he's saying. But it's a very, so it's a very packed, dense section in these first four verses. I'm going to unpack it a little and also think about uh, a bit further on where he starts to talk about uh, the elders of the church and what they should be like. So we see in verses 1 to 4, I think, a sort of summary of one of the messages that Paul wants to give to Titus and to this church really speaks about the Christian faith in a general way in encouraging them 
to frame everything that comes after it, or he gives a lot of practical advice in this letter, but it's framed by a bigger picture of the good news of Jesus and the Christian faith and what it's about. So we see, I think, in this verse, in these uh, four verses, a couple of different things. Firstly, Paul speaks about some of the things that God has done, the actions of God towards humanity. And so there are a few uh, verbs that we picked out here about things that God has done for us or which we can see in uh, his actions towards us in Jesus. So we hear God has actually had made a promise. So he has promised and planned that he would bring his eternal life into the world in Jesus Christ. And we actually read that this has always been God's plan from before the beginning of time, that in making the world he intended to bring his eternal life into it. And actually that's always been part of his plan. So God has promised. And then we hear God has appointed a season to reveal this plan to the world through Jesus. He has appointed uh, Jesus as his ambassador to bring his life into the world and to reveal this plan to everyone. And God has, we read, chosen or elected to work through particular people, churches like those in Crete, who are going to be the agents of his message, who are going to be living it out through Jesus Christ. And he has entrusted this message to Paul, to the other apostles, to share around the world. So God has actually been active from the beginning in his intention, his plan, to bring his life into the world through Jesus. So what Paul hopes to do on the basis of that is to encourage the church in Crete to live out this story of God's work in them. So he, he writes, he says, to further their faith in God and what he's done. And to give knowledge of the truth that will lead them to godliness. So to help them to actually progress on the path that God has set before them. And also to give them hope and peace as they travel on this path together. That's a really helpful perspective because I think it brings up for us a, a big picture. What does it mean to be a Christian or to proceed in the Christian life? And I think Paul is laying out for us that Christianity describes a cooperative relationship or a work between God and humanity. Uh, united in Jesus and his work. And it's something we might describe by using the term synergy, which you might be familiar with. Synergy means two uh, people or two groups working together, bringing their energies, their work and their action together for a common purpose, greater than, the, greater than they would be apart. And actually, the New Testament really describes, I think, the Christian life as this synergy between God and humanity, as Jesus has brought us together to change us into his image. There's a great summary of that in uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians in uh, chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. So he says to them, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So you can see there are two sides to that. We continue to work out our salvation because God works in us. So together we... Uh, move forward in this synergy. And so I think Titus is actually presuming that as well. God has his plans and purposes for the world, the promises that he's made which have been revealed in Jesus and are working out. And he has chosen to work through people and to call them to work with him in spreading that good news and in bringing God's life into the world. So I think this is Paul's aim in the midst of all the concrete advice that he gives Titus later on about how to manage the life of the local church, that it's important for all these people as mem members of the church in Crete to find their place in this work with God, to move forward in it and to be continually inspired and encouraged to grow 
like God, to grow in godliness, to understand more and to be more like Jesus. And I think Titus is encouraging us to think, well, in this process, which God has initiated, what is the role of a local church, like the church in Crete or the church here in Emerald? And one way of thinking about that and understanding, I think, what Paul might say is to ask what is actually supposed to be the output of a local church? What is it that we should be measuring if we decide if a local church is doing its job? This is a very complicated question and a lot of people have different opinions about that. And it can be quite confusing to think about. But one way that people often think about the output of a local church or what to measure is that what comes from a local church should be more church. So a church should grow in members and it should grow in its resources, in its impact in the local community. So more church comes from church. Another way to think about the output of a local church is to think, well, the goal of a church is to produce uh, services, activities, programs, events, and things that enable people to engage with Jesus. Now, both of those things are definitely true and some of the things that can be measured and thought about in the life of the local church. But actually, I don't think that's the deepest reality. And that Paul would encourage us to think more about the output of the local church as being the synergy between God and the human beings within it. Okay, So the output is actually the change in the lives of the people who are members of the church. And so we can actually measure the growth and success of a church by measuring the number of mature leaders and transformed followers of Christ who are produced by that community. And I think that's actually a very helpful thing for us to think about as we as a church think again about our vision of what our church is supposed to be uh, as we enter into the post-COVID season. What is it we're aiming for? And I think the New Testament and Paul in particular here encourages us that the goal of the church is to produce mature Christian people, elders in the church, people who have been transformed by Jesus and can therefore be agents of transformation for others as well. That is the goal and the output of the church, to show God's plan and God's work in his life in the world. Because I want to come back to the question that I asked at the start. So what's wrong with the world? And what would we say to that? So the most famous answer that was given to that question when it was first asked back in uh, 100 years ago by the newspaper in England was uh, came, came from a Christian leader, a journalist, a man named G.K. Chesterton, who was a very famous writer and a Christian commentator at the time. And his answer to this question, what is wrong with the world, was actually just two words. What's wrong with the world? I am, he wrote. I am. Now, he's not actually saying, of course, that he took personal responsibility for everything that was going on in the world around him, but he was expressing what he saw Christianity teaching us about what is actually wrong with the world. Particularly that inasmuch as I am, and you are, a representative of the human race designed to be made in the image of God and to show his life to the world, as much as we don't reflect that, I am the problem with the world. And to change the world, to make it a better place, it's not enough just to know what other people are doing wrong or to what, other, what the situations are out there, but we must first, Chesterton would say, and I think Paul would agree, we must first change ourselves. We must first be changed by God, or else whatever it is that we do or say will just contribute to the problems in the world around us and make the world more wrong. So the question is, if we do want to affect change in the world, what 
where do we put our effort first? Is it first in external action, in political activity, in speaking, acting, being part of what's going on around us? Definitely we should be doing that. But firstly, I think we learn that we should be looking at ourselves, inside us, our own change. You know, what's, what's really wrong with the world? Well, if I am what's wrong with the world, I need to be the one to change. What's actually missing is our own participation in being transformed ourselves and sharing that with other people. And so the first action that, as Christians, we do to address what is wrong with the world is to become right ourselves through the power that God has put in us through Jesus Christ. To be part of his work in renewing creation and bringing his life into the world. And so our synergy, our work with God, working at our salvation with him, that is how we contribute primarily to the world being changed. And so an elder in the church, the people that Paul is talking to and uh, offering advice about their leadership, an elder in the church is actually really someone or should be someone who has addressed to a greater extent their own need to grow in godliness, to work with God and to deal with the areas of their life that need to ha have change so that they can therefore change others around them their life. And so Paul talks about uh, later in chapter 1, particularly verses 5 to 9, well, what are the qualities of these people, the elders and those who should be considered leaders in the church? Well, it's interesting because he doesn't, when, if you do, when he comes to this, he doesn't actually talk about uh, skills, uh, being a charismatic leader, someone who can manage a crowd or can inspire people or who's great at all sorts of different things, has lots of skills. He actually talks about character someone who is able to show God's character to the world, who has been changed. And so particularly, he says, they're people who, who have learned how to manage their relationships, so manage their life at home, manage their life at work, uh, to be peaceful, orderly, building up other people, not to be out of control. People to be honest financially, they don't uh, try to take advantage of situations. They're self-controlled people. They don't lash out in anger. They're not violent. They don't have a bad temper. They're lovers of good, they want good, the good for other people, they're hospitable and they invite people into their lives. And also they're clear in the truth. Uh, and he says they understand it, they're stable and they know what God has said. And so if we apply this message to our world today, our world today and our church today, you think, well, what is the output of the church and what should it be? Well, I think Paul is encouraging Titus here that the output of our church is to be mature leaders and elders in Christ. And so I think that's a good question for us as a church, as we, again, as we think about our vision uh, for the coming year. What, is, what do we need to do or what areas do we need to address to help that uh, to become to be the case? That more and more people who are part of St. Mark's are learning to be mature elders in their faith who can then share that with others. And it's also worth applying this to ourselves and thinking about, well, what's the output of my life as I work with God? If I look at my household, if I look at my work, and uh, the, impact, the impact that I have around me. Am I moving towards this uh, life of being an elder, someone who can be trusted, someone who is actually building others up in Christ and can be relied upon to do so? So as we think about that, I encourage you to take some action in these areas. Firstly, if you are someone you think, I, I do need to grow, I do need to know what it means to be mature, I do need to know what it means to let God work in your life, I would look around as you can, and find the elders around you, the elders in our church and the elders in, the, in your wider life, and attach yourself to them. 
to learn from them and to see what they can offer you with advice, modeling, and encouragement to grow in your faith in Christ. And if you are an elder, now elders don't always know they are because they might be humble, but if people tend to think that you are, uh, I'd encourage you to think about those that you can encourage and to be intentional about that. It's really important that those who are leaders and elders in the church, who, who know what it means to follow Jesus, are actually motivated to share that with other people and to encourage them. Otherwise, we'll never learn. I tend to think that mature Christians are kind of like fertilizer. If you gather them all together and, and put them in a bag somewhere, it gets a bit smelly and rank. What you really want to do is spread them out, okay? And then they're nourishing, they bring health to the garden, and things grow. And it's so I'd encourage you to seek out those kind of experiences as well. At St. Mark's, we often talk about intergenerational ministry, and that's just what we mean. That is, those who are more mature in the faith are able to offer encouragement to those who are coming up and learning behind them, and vice versa. So as we finish this first sermon on Titus, I'd just like us to be encouraged. You know, yes, there is a lot wrong with the world, and there are lots of things that we can't change. But remember now, you know, God has a plan which he's put in place from before the beginning of time to bring his life into the world, and he has revealed that through Jesus, and he's inviting us to take part in it. So let's be encouraged and to grow in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness today.